wonderful to have kids who are here, and I'm thankful tonight that Grace can lead a lesson upstairs for a bunch of kids who are here, but it's really sweet to me to see the young people who are here who are listening to the sermon and who are waiting in the main church building, and some of them are people I've known for years who now live in a place that's very special to me called Lourdes Valley Ranch, so glad you guys are here. We will be in the book of John in chapter 16. John chapter 16. We will be looking at one complimentary passage outside of John 16. And I will be quoting one Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, who as I prepared for the sermon and then read what he had to say, I thought, oh, this is... This is a lot like my notes, but better written. So, um, John chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while, you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. 
I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. This is a continuation of the promise of the Holy Spirit in chapter 15, and also a continuation of Jesus' preparation for the disciples of the coming persecution. Some of this passage applies to us. Uh, the whole Bible actually applies to us, right? Well, some of this passage is actually Jesus talking to his disciples about a time period that we will never experience. The time period when he died and the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. Does that time sound like anything that we could have in our lives? It doesn't have anything to do with the way our lives will work. And for those of us who are believers, the promised Holy Spirit has come and is in us from the time that we believe. I told my dad as I was talking to him about this passage that the biggest takeaway that I have, not for Lonzo Community Church as this representative body, but the church, especially in the United States, is that we don't recognize the incredible power of the Holy Spirit or what a gift that is. It is important, it is good, it is right to read the Old Testament. But no one in the Old Testament, Elijah in the Old Testament, bears less culpability. I just made that horrible sentence construction. Forget the no one part. Elijah bears less culpability for his sinful choices than you and I if we are in Christ. And the reason is that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us in a way he did not. No one in the Old Testament had the Word of God in the way we do, and no one in the Old Testament had the Helper, the promised Helper of God, the Spirit, to convict us, to point us to truth, to teach, guide, direct, and comfort us. When you read about it, and it hasn't happened yet, the weight and import of it is clear. When you first heard about the Holy Spirit at summer camp, and there was a picture of a dove, and you were fuzzy on the Trinity, and oh, there's no pictures of the Father. We've got Jesus. He's got a beard. And then there's a dove. What's the Father look like? Well, if, you, if that's your first time you're hearing about the Holy Spirit, you're missing the power. You're missing what Jesus talks about here. You're missing the person of the Holy Spirit and his role in your life. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Guys, how many of us are going to be put out of the synagogues? Is that what you were talking about? That only applies? Yeah, we don't worship in synagogues. We're not going to be put out of the synagogues. I will say that as then 
There are lots of people today who in their lifetime get saved, actually come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and the church has a real problem with that. Well, different churches. Well, who's he talking about? Lots of churches. A really sweet story of a, of a guy who I haven't met yet, but I've read a lot about up in Pennsylvania. He fell in his barn, crushed his pelvis. Doctors said he would never be able to walk correctly again. He was bedridden, and some folks came and prayed for him, and he was healed. And then he started asking in his church questions about, wait, I, I thought the healing couldn't happen. Now I don't, what happened to me? I don't, I need to understand this. And the church said, stop asking those questions. That's awkward. We don't talk about that. And he kept asking the questions, and he was shunned from the church that he grew up in. The church can sometimes, in its visible representation, have people in it who are more committed to their power than the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can be very disruptive to an order of service, especially to churchianity and the created structures we have. But we're not getting put out of synagogues. That's not happening to us. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Again, directly applicable to them. Saul, who becomes Paul, is one of those persecutors. Happens very rarely within our church context, but is still happening in the global church. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. I will not spend the time it would take to give a nuanced discussion about this young man who was just killed by the uh, native tribe off the coast of India on the island. But I will say this, our culture and its response to that is so vastly different from the killing of Jim Elliot and Steve Saint and the others who died when they were coming to the Aka Indians and bringing the gospel to them. And to say, people need to be left just as they are, is an incredibly paternalistic statement, particularly with regards to people who have brutish, short lives with deep malnutrition, disease, and other things that we could help with but refuse to so that they can continue living Stone Age lives. But worse than that, worse than that, is saying that people should be able to live and die without ever hearing the gospel that they'll never have the opportunity to hear the gospel because we want to leave them alone. They have not known the Father nor me. We know him. And that makes all the difference. And when someone's coming to kill you because they don't know Jesus, the response of one who is controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit looks like Stephen when he was being stoned. He said, Father, forgive them. I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you will remember that I told them to you. There are brothers and sisters in North Korea. There are brothers and sisters in China. There are brothers and sisters who are hearing these words and taking them to heart because they face the very real danger of being killed for following Jesus. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Jesus was there as the comforter. Does that directly apply to us? No. None of us have lived with Jesus. But he's telling them now, and he's preparing them for the time he's going to be away from them. 
Jesus, when he's on the cross, this is, again, something to consider and be prayerful about as we think about the price Jesus paid. In eternity, there is a break relationally between God the Father and Jesus when the Father turns his face away because the Son takes on sin, takes it upon him. And Jesus suffered that ultimate relational break for our sake. But he's preparing his disciples for, in their lives, a relatively short period, but a period that, again, we don't ever have to face. And that is a time when Jesus is dead and the Holy Spirit has not come. That's a very challenging place to be. And we don't ever have to be alone in that way. Because I've said these things to you, Saul, has filled your heart. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away... Now, now, verse 7, does God tell the truth? Does Jesus ever lie anywhere in the Bible? Yeah. Guys, post-Thanksgiving, a little, a little tired maybe? You're right, you're right. He never lies. That's right, Cheyenne. He never lies. Nowhere in the Bible does he lie. So verse 7 is telling us that it's better for us to live when we do now with the Holy Spirit inside of us, the Holy Spirit living in us, than it would have been to be in Bible times. Uh, when I was a kid and you had the time machines, you guys do the hypothetical, if you had a time machine, where would you go? What would you do? I, I mean, I thought I was so original that I said, like, kill Hitler. and or, like That's like half of people's fantasy. Where would you go? What would you do? Who killed Hitler? Okay, everyone else already thought of that too. But then it was like, well, of course I want to live in Jesus' time. Of course I want to see Jesus. I want to, I want to be in Jesus' time. I want to be around him. I want to actually get to see him. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth is, to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world. This is what it's supposed to look like. The Holy Spirit of God living in us, working in us. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. How does that fit within our culture around what's being taught often in evangelical circles? Well, ask yourself if something lines up, because this is the work that Jesus said the Holy Spirit will do. Convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Oh, Jesus also promised persecution. He did. Could it be that people aren't experiencing persecution because they're not obeying him? Because they're not living lives that are pointing towards perfection in a way that angers the recipients? Matthew Henry says this, convincing work is the Spirit's work. He can do it effectually, and none but he. It is the method the Holy Spirit takes, first to convince and then to comfort. The Spirit shall convince, convince the world of sin, not merely tell them of it. The Spirit convinces of the fact of sin, of the fault of sin, of the folly of sin, of the filth of sin, that by it we are become hateful to God of the fountain of sin, the corrupt nature, and lastly of the fruit of sin, that the end thereof is death. The Holy Spirit proves that all the world is guilty before God. He convinces the world of righteousness that Jesus of Nazareth was Christ the righteous, also of Christ's righteousness imparted to us 
for justification and salvation. He will show them where it is to be had and how they may be accepted as righteous in God's sight. Christ's ascension proves the ransom was accepted and that the righteousness finished through which believers were to be justified. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged, all will be well when his power is broken who made all the mischief. As Satan is subdued by Christ, this gives us confidence, for no other power can stand before him. And on the day of judgment, the coming of the Spirit would be of unspeakable advantage to the disciples. The Holy Spirit is our guide, not only to show us the way, but to go with us by continued aids and influences. To be led into a truth is more than barely to know it. It is not only to have the notion of it in our heads, but the relish and savor and power of it in our hearts. I'll read that part again. That was the part that to me encapsulates so much of what's being said here. To be led into a truth is more than barely to know it. It is not only to have the notion of it in our heads, but the relish and savor and power of it in our hearts. He shall teach all truth and keep back nothing profitable, for he will show things to come. All the gifts and graces of the Spirit, all the preaching and all the writing of the apostles under the influence of the Spirit, all the tongues and miracles were to glorify Christ. It behooves every one of us to ask whether the Holy Spirit has begun a good work in our heart. Without clear discovery of our guilt and danger, we shall never understand the value of Christ's salvation. But when brought to know ourselves aright, we begin to see the value of the Redeemer. The Holy Spirit's work should be evident in our lives. As you just look at that passage and kind of take time to, to study that, um, verse 12 is, I would say, not something that is seen so regularly. Um, ver, ver, sorry, verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus says, but you cannot bear them now. Can we bear them now? We should be able to. Again, we are in a different time, in a different place. And because of that, with the Holy Spirit inside of us, we can listen to this truth. We can understand it. The Spirit of truth has come and is guiding us into all truth. The Holy Spirit speaks with the perfection of God. And he glorifies Jesus with what he says. Capital T truth exists. We can know it. We do know it in the word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, again, this is tying into many times where people are like, that's right, brother. What you're saying is right about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's great. So the Holy Spirit's doing good stuff, and part of that means that I get everything that's God's. It says it right here in the Bible. Everything that is God's is mine. I can have it. Everything that is God's is his believers. And remember our conversation about in my name? Remember what I said, concert tickets being purchased with the Thrive card? That hasn't happened, folks, so it's just an example for church. In his name, for his glory. 
someone is way out of line, way sliding into heresy when they say, it's all ours. Whatever you want, just ask it in his name and it will be given to you. In his will, for his glory. So Jesus tells them that he's going to, he basically tells them, I'm going to die and then raise from the dead. And they don't understand. They think that they understand, but they don't. Jesus gives us this beautiful example of the baby being born, the anguish and pain of childbirth, and then the, the sorrow being taken away because of the beauty of this new life. And talks about their joy being full. Now, the disciples had a different time period in their lives, really unique, again, not like our experience, but a time that Jesus was away and then was back. And then what happened after that? Jesus came back and then, before the Holy Spirit came, he ascended into heaven, right? So did they ever see him again? Yeah, they saw him again in heaven, and the reason I'm bringing that up is the parallel passage we're going to look at briefly is just in Revelation chapter 7. Satan's a judo expert, so some people act as if, let's never think about this life. Let's never think about the kingdom of God on earth. But I would say that for most of us, the temptation is not to think too much about eternity and to be just ignoring too much the reality around us. I think the problem for most of us is the other way. That we're focused tons on this life. We're focused tons on immediacy. We're focused tons on comfort here and now. And we don't think about the rejoicing and the new life and the new birth. The life that will be ours for eternity. Look in Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him night and day in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There was a coming persecution that was promised, most of them died for their faith. Most of them were killed because they believed in Jesus, but they all saw him again. They were all transported to him and to an eternity where they have no more tears. Do we focus on the here and now, or are we focused on eternity? Jesus tells them to take heart because he has overcome the world. But they don't really understand what he's saying. Look in uh, verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. 
yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. There was uh, a very real sense. It's it's <laughs> it's fairly complicated. I won't be here Wednesday, but we can take it up later. Uh, in which the Holy Spirit in, did come upon folks in the Old Testament, but the presence of God was where in the time of Israel prior to Jesus coming in the temple. Could you carry that with you? Oh. Is this a trick trivia question? There was the Ark of the Covenant, and it did move around. And people, okay, but but what I'm saying here is that the relationship that Jesus has here, where he says, "I'm never alone, never alone, never alone," looked really different for everyone prior to Jesus. Well, I walked with God. I was in God's presence. Guys, did David walk with God? Absolutely. Did the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit described as coming upon him at times? Yes. Was David ever alone? Yeah. Yeah. He took himself out several times with sinful choices, felt keenly the lack of fellowship with God. But King David, well, I'm, I'm just kind of like a King David Christian, you know? I mean, I'm not making some mistake. Oh, 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 oh. King David wasn't a Christian. He wasn't. The Holy Spirit did not live inside of him. He did not get to say in the way we can, I'm never alone. I'm never alone. The plaintive wailings that people who take time to look in the Psalms and go, well, that's me. I'm feeling that way. Oh, well, look, tell yourself the truth here. You're not David. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you. The helper has come to you. And as a Christian, you will never be alone. But also, pay attention here to what happens when the enemy is winning and when people have given up on the truth, when people's hope is gone. The time is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home. Brothers and sisters, the church is supposed to love one another, we're supposed to be united, and we're supposed to take strength and encouragement from one another. The Holy Spirit speaking truth to us, us receiving truth from the Word, us reminding each other of truth, us encouraging one another in the truth, and us rebuking one another when we see sin in our lives is supposed to be happening together. I am not saying in North Korea they all need to gather as consolidated as possible. There are times and places when it is entirely appropriate for Christians to gather in secret, for there to be house churches, for there to be underground churches. But a picture of people being scattered each to their own home is a picture of the time when the disciples were abandoning Christ not a picture of the church as he created it. Does that make sense? There is a time coming, indeed it has come, when you'll be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. We should seek out those who, like us, are never alone and stand with them to the glory of God. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, 
I have overcome the world. The shared persecution that we will face as we speak truth, convicting the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, is something that will glorify God and that will bring us together. Because we're not only never alone because the Holy Spirit, the Helper, is in us. We're never alone because there's a whole group of folks for whom that is true, who are our brothers and sisters in Knoxville, Tennessee, in the United States, and around the world. And those who hear the voice of truth, those who abide in Christ, those who are bearing fruit, are a family of God. And we know that all of us are headed to a time and a place when we will hunger no more, when we will have no more thirst, when we will have no more tears, when God will live and abide with us in perfect fellowship because of Christ. And we will spend eternity giving him glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the promised helper. We thank you for his role in our lives. We pray for discernment. We pray that we will be able to understand and apply truth to our lives. We pray that we will love righteousness. We pray that we will seek that together in community. We pray that we will have the vulnerability to be known we pray that we will dig into your word, that it will satisfy us, that it will change us, that we will need it, that we will know our need of it. We do not edit it, but it edits us. And we pray that we will hear the truth from the Spirit, from the word, convicting us and shaping us and changing us so that we might be like Jesus. And we'll be careful to give you the praise. In his name, amen.